Ding, 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 ding. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of The podcast in which a group of The podcast in which a group of B-Side. All right, and welcome back to B-Side. I am Tom, and then B-Side's most consistent guest of all time and occasional host of B-Side, KJ, is here from our flagship podcast. And today we are talking about Colossal, the 2016 film directed by Nacho Vigalondo, um, our, our only repeat director so far from our flagship podcast talking pictures trivia and in that podcast we had begun to talk about um well let me let kj say hello do you want to say hello kj hey tom thanks for having me back again um you guys you guys being the audience uh, may have noticed that the colossal episode was significantly shorter than our others um we're hoping to keep the flagship podcast down that low possibly or at least we're experimenting with it and then move some of the conversation over here to the b-side uh, where we can go in further. Um, so good to be back. I'm looking forward to learning a lot about absurdity, Tom. Yes, to, we're going to uh, work on absurdity, absurdism, and all that. And so just kind of maybe behind the scenes look at, at the flagship. Um, KJ does most of the work of the show. Uh, and part of it, he's, you know, prepares some Google Docs and we put in our notes into these Google Docs. And a lot of my notes were on absurdity theater of the absurd uh, things like that and that was kind of my reading of of colossal was that it, it's a um, kind of like an absurdist light picture and i don't think we got very far down that rabbit hole did we no i i, I don't i don't think so <laughs> not maybe not even a little bit <laughs> <laughs> so we decided you know it, it, it to um kind of maybe make this movie worth our time and, and discuss this this concept uh in in a little more detail um so through to you so any kind of ideas about absurdity or absurdism or existentialism or whatnot going into uh into this discussion today so before i saw your show notes for colossal i, I had never even heard of uh, absurdism so can we get just a general what is absurdism sure so Absurdism is, um, it comes from this critic, Martin Eslin, in his book titled Theater of the Absurd from kind of the mid 20th century. And he's looking at a collection of, uh, a collection of writers who were, he felt being misunderstood. People like Samuel Beckett, who were writing plays and the critical response to those plays were something along the lines of, this makes no sense. Is this even dialogue? What, what the hell is this? And he, you know, he was looking at that. He was looking at uh, Eugene Ionesco in France, um, potentially Pirandello in Italy, and and saying, well, the evaluative the the evaluative strategies of these critics are lacking. They do not take into account what the nature of this is, and so he came up with the term theater of the absurd. The absurd being a term he invents to kind of tie these disparate but somewhat similar plays together into uh, a unified genre. Now, now, even using the term, he would never use the, the term genre. He would say it's a label um, because these plays are, are varying. And 
he finds a few conventions at the outset for for these plays and he says that these plays consistently exercise a devaluation of language um they are not story reliant there is little or no plot um and that could mean also there's little or no explanation for things that are happening um there are no or few recognizable characters um the the worlds that the plays occur in are kind of dreamlike nightmares and there is a stress on incoherence action and word nece- don't necessarily line up why don't we jump into one of these in terms of colossal do you think colossal um exemplifies one of these um conventions Yes and no, right? And I think this is where the the kind of idea of a a 21st century uh, absurdist drama, absurdist comedy, I I would say this is a comedy, definitely, um, kind of needs to be kind of chiseled out. Uh, Because a lot of this stuff, a lot of the absurdist stuff is kind of being written during the Cold War, being written after World War II, after the discovery of the Holocaust, um, and in part, it's, it's kind of a response to that, that feeling maybe of alienation or the feeling of uh, there's a lack of explanation for existence. And so let's, we could go through these, these conventions and see where in the 21st century, at least where in terms of colossal, they sort of fall short. So. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, let's start with like devaluation of language. My initial thoughts there are um, there is no devaluation of language in Colossal. I, I mean, there was certainly dialogue. Um, there, there was no time where the characters all just stared at each other without knowing. Is that what they mean by devaluation of language? What, what, what's usually meant by that? I, I think what is meant by that or what you usually see is that the words people say don't do what words on stage or on film normally do. Right. So you might, you know, say, um, uh, uh, can you get me a cup? And that means quite literally, please, please go get me a cup. I want to drink something out of it or, or whatever, you know. Um, but what you'll see in like, let's say a lot of the shorter plays of Samuel Beckett, for example, is that people will kind of repeat things or say things. And it's kind of hard to tell what those words are intended to do or what they're intended to to summon right from out of people um very often the language itself doesn't have the kind of active intonation that that you would see in kind of a realistic play a realistic movie and furthermore the language doesn't necessarily have a metaphorical meaning that you would see in a more complicated uh realistic play so um for example, an, another Samuel Beckett play, Waiting for Godot, probably the most famous absurdist drama, uh, two older men are waiting on a road for Godot, and he never comes, and that's that's the absurdism. Um, Beckett never really defined what Godot was, and to say Godot is a metaphor for something, people often say God, right, G-O-D-O-T, it gets you, it gets you to God pretty quickly if you play with the letters. Um, but to say that Godot is a symbol or a metaphor for something is to kind of misunderstand the form, right? You know, it's just people, it's an absurd situation. It's not a metaphor. 
So in, in Colossal, I think all the language is literal, right? Every time they ask for a cup, they, they're looking for a cup. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you know, there's nothing strange there. Um, however, I guess by the end, none of it really mattered, right? None of the, none of the characters really grew or changed or arced. Yeah, I mean, I would push back against that in terms of, especially of Anne Hathaway's character, who literally seems to get over alcoholism by the end of the, the, the movie. Oh, that's true. She does. She is drinking a lot less yeah. by the end. But, but, you know, by the third act, she's not drinking at all, right? Or she's, right, unless she's right. forced to by the, the main villain, uh, Jason Sudeikis's, what's his name? Joel? Is it Oscar? Oscar, thank you. Yeah. Oscar. Oscar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so. I think that what we see here with with language is that it, it does something um, and that you have in Colossal kind of conventional arcs of development. I think it's true of Oscar, too. He just goes through a negative change, right, or fails to change. Right. And I mean, we can dive into that more, but I, I think it's so sudden it, it it almost feels like a not an arc, but a, you know, a forced fake. Oh, I need this character to do this now. Yeah. You know, it wasn't a... It, it's contrived, right? His... Right. Yep. His villainy is contrived for people who haven't seen it, which who, who is listening to this who hasn't seen this movie? Yeah, who's listening? To this? <laughs> yeah, who's listening to this generally? <laughs> it's like my it's like our parents, I think. Um but I hope. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but um <laughs> All right, let's look at one of the other conventions. Yeah. Um so no or few recognizable characters. That I think is straight yeah. out. We're already kind of talking right? about that. Yeah, we... we mm-hmm. Right. That makes that doesn't yep. work. Um, mm-hmm. So th- they're characters here. Um, I, I do think, though, when we get to know our little story, the next the next thing, I think we have something there. Right? Um, and so... Well, yeah. Well... I, I, I'll agree because um, any story we have still feels unresolved. Mm-hmm. Right, she gets kicked out of an apartment. She goes back to her hometown, but she's not ready to go back to New York by the end of this. She's not ready to stay in the hometown by the end of this. Right, there's no mm-hmm. um, resolution to what she wants to do now with her life. Mm-hmm. And then same with Oscar. He's well, I mean, I guess there's resolution to his story, but <laughs> it's it, <laughs> he gets thrown and presumably dies. Right, mm-hmm. but um, again, there was no redemption or anything right before that. Mm-hmm. It was just okay. Now there's no more Oscar. Yeah, I, I think, though, that at least we have one character who has a redeeming story arc, then that's conventional enough. Okay. Right? And I think she does have a redeeming story arc. Right? She figures out her life, and she's able to do something in the world that's good um, and, you know, stop stop being self-destructive. Uh, okay, so of our first three, uh, devaluation of language, we don't really think that applies to Colossal know or few recognizable characters they're all very recognizable even though there might be a few compared to a, a marvel movie or something but it, yeah. it's not part of this <laughs> absurd yeah mm-hmm. um no or little stories right out so so far it's not looking um too good uh but should we jump into <laughs> the next one um uh well, dreamlike or nightmare worlds yeah dreamlike and nightmare worlds and then the last one is incoherence in action and word um I think maybe we're closer. I don't think we're in a dreamlike or nightmare world. Well, so, yeah, so talking about the dreamlike or nightmare worlds, or even the incoherent action, maybe this is where we can say um, in Mainhead, I think is the name of the town they're in, Mm -hmm. 
maybe there it's not absurdist, but in Sewell, maybe there it's absurdist, right? All of a sudden, all these start fitting. There's um, language that we don't understand. Mm-hmm. There's little or no story. This monster shows up, destroys buildings, and disappears. There's no recognizable characters apart from the monster who is not recognizable to anything else we know. I mean, except for maybe Godzilla or King Kong or something, but um, it's dreamlike and it's nightmare. Yes and no. The the fact that something um, fantastical occurs in a world doesn't make the world surreal, right? You could compare this to a... uh, to like a David Lynch movie where we are occasionally entering a dream, a dream world. Um, and the, the physics of the world are constantly sort of changing. They're very liquid in this world. Everyone is shocked that a monster has appeared in, in soul, right? It's not like we're not living in a dream where bizarro things happen all the time the the attention the monster gathers is because we're living in the real world and this is not something the real world is supposed to tolerate right and even we hear in the news report that uh, people are going to have to change their definition of how physics works because we now need this explanation and even at the end of the movie we get a kind of bad explanation for where the monster comes that she was holding a doll that looked like a monster when she got struck by lightning or something and was angry. I, you know, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, but there you go. So I would say no, it is not necessarily a nightmare world. Gotcha. So part of absurdism is people in universe are very accepting of whatever this absurd thing is. Or accepting might not even be the right word. They're nonchalant about what it is. The, the world, kind of, yeah. I, I mean, not always, but... But kind of. So again, Waiting for Godot is sort of our, our archetype here, because I think it was Eslin's archetype. Um, in Waiting for Godot, it's not like these two idiots are waiting for Godot and everybody else is going to work and raising a family and going, why are two homeless idiots waiting for Godot for 50 years? You know, it, it's sort of like people visit them who are just as absurd as they are. Um, a little boy comes and says, oh, Godot will come tomorrow, mate. And, you know, play was originally written in french by an irishman so i don't know why the boy has an english accent but anyway um <laughs> that's you know that that's what happens there there's like two other characters one's a slave and one's a master and the, the master's whipping the slave um and none of this really adds up to a world we recognize as our own right uh in edward albee's work it's maybe a little closer to our world um if we look at like seascape for example it's a married couple on a beach discussing retirement when two sea lizards who have um, kind of humanoid language abilities and intelligence wash up and start asking them questions about what's it like to live on land and what are conventions. And so they'll have long discussions about like shaking hands and things like that. That's a little less maybe archetypically con- uh, absurd because it's the, the world isn't entirely unrecognizable, but even in Albi, we're living in a world where humanoid sea creatures wash up on land and discuss retirement plans, right? It's while while with this movie with with Colossal, it's our world, and then it's a world we recognize as our own, um, but with one bizarre element, which is, you know, a big big thing has shown up. I mean, the same way Marvel movies take place in our world, right? Marvel is imagine our world. Um, 
but they're superheroes and they try to make the superheroes realistic you know they come from somewhere they have stories they don't just pop out of nowhere all right but how about the last one then incoherence in action and word does that fit colossal i i think so and i think this is where um where kind of the like american absurdist light kind of comes in uh, and i think that the the monster or monsters in colossal are sort of they, they kind of come from nowhere the definition we're given for them also doesn't make sense as I said before lightning hits her but you know um and apparently it also turns him into a monster even though he isn't hit by lightning it's it's a bad explanation uh and the movie feels like it's tacked on anyway um but the the incoherence is that when she steps onto a park at 805 a giant monster appears in seoul and there's really no reason for it um and i i think then that that incoherence meaning that lack of reason that lack of justification or the, that very bad justification highlights the the absurdist element as something that can convey knowledge um we could see an example of this in uh uh, an absurdist play by Lu Luigi Pirandello, six characters in search of an author in which um, people are staging a play and six characters from a play walk out and say, hey, can you write a play for us? <laughs> you know, we, need, you know we, we need to do this. Yeah. Which also kind of, I mean, think about the, de so there is a definition and this might be where I'm wrong in, in my hypothesis. The, the explanation is that, um, the two people who can become monsters, uh, Oscar and uh, and Gloria. Gloria, yep. Yeah, uh, played by by Hathaway and um, uh, Jason Segal. I don't know his name either. Sedakis, Sedakis. There it is. Yeah, Segal. <laughs> <laughs> Stevenson. Steven Segal. Um, that when they were kids, they went into the area that later would become the playground. Um, she had a diorama of the city of Seoul. he's really mean so he stepped on it and crushed it as he did lightning hit her in the head while she was near a toy that looked like a monster and then whenever she steps on the playground at 805 presumably the time this happened um she turns into that monster in the city of Seoul because she was angry and looking at a diorama of Seoul while being relatively close to this doll. And so does Jason Sudeikis' character. Yeah, and, and if we take that out, because it does feel tacked on, mm -hmm. would we even need a an explanation as to why this occurs in the movie? Does it does it change the plot? Does it change the theme? Does it change nothing, no. right? Yeah. Um, so either way, I'd say it's incoherent. And is it incoherent in an absurdist way? that's a really good question i think i think that's the question more than is the explanation uh supportable or or believable um and so you know the kind of the idea of um of incoherence is that philosophically speaking is that people are separated from the world right that meaning cannot be made in the world or you have to sort of manufacture it you have to do something absurd and call that meaning right just point to that and say that action is meaningful that's my meaning meaning isn't like true or out there or real um and it, it and so it seems like we have to ask the question does the monster or monsters 
show the world to be lacking meaning and then these people have to um these people have to try and find meaning using the monsters or do the monsters reify uh, a meaning or a higher order in the world well let's start with um gloria and oscar's character mm -hmm. they seem wandering right they're, they're not they don't have big goals in life they're not progressing towards anything i mean oscar's running the bar but he doesn't want to be it, it, it seems mm -hmm. so let's start with them and say um I, I think it's safe to say their life doesn't have a purpose at this point mm -hmm. um so if that's the case then when the monster shows up the monster has no purpose in soul right there's there's no reason for the monster to be there Mm -hmm. um, it is destructive, so that's something. That that's a meaning. That's that could be something. Um, but do does the soul learn anything from the monsters? Does Gloria or Oscar learn anything by being monsters? Yeah, I I don't know if it's. I, well, I would say they. You know, Gl Gloria is sort of forced into a position of responsibility via the monster. Um, I I don't know if it's if learning something is is the idea or the key it, it's i don't know if it's necessarily it could be but i don't think it necessarily needs to be a, a sort of morality fable um and th there's a reading of this involving involving fable that that we could talk about it. i do want to talk about um but i'm just going to table that a second uh, to respond to this idea of um learning uh i i think that like soul doesn't really learn anything right the, we don't learn why this makes any sense um i do think that as a metaphor it's supposed to represent the kind of destruction that gloria's drinking does or jason sudeikis's characters oscars his controlling and drinking i you know it's a little more vague with him general badness i guess <laughs> um that that represents um you know but i i don't know if it's I, I don't know if it um, I don't think it has a kind of literal meaning in the world of the of the film even even not learning a moral lesson I, I was trying to think is there any advantage to having this monster out there like could could soul have set up a giant hamster wheel mm -hmm. and had uh, Gloria run in place and expend very little energy and generate a lot of energy in soul right it is what, what could they have could they have done something good with this sci-fi premise well i i mean i think the 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 problem with saying uh let's do something kind of i don't know uh, ethically positive with having a generating a giant monster um i i, I think that you know kind of so I think this actually dovetails into this idea of the parable, the absurdist parable, right? So what you're suggesting is, I think, a different parable from the one we're given, right? So um, if you're saying that, so let's start with this kind of idea of the absurdist parable, and then we'll talk about how that connects to what I think the film is doing and what you're suggesting would be a maybe a better potential. Sure, sounds good. Okay, so the, the idea of the absurdist parable, I'm just going to go into my notes here, um, is that 
that what you're given is kind of an open paradox um, and that the open paradox presents kind of clashing ethical concerns and th those clashing ethical concerns kind of force us to to contemplate certain problems certain ethical problems that there's a clash of meanings and we have to deal with that clash of meanings and thereby people find meaning in their life by dealing with paradox right and so the the absurdist movie play what have you by pre presenting a paradox by presenting something that appears to be impossible the quest to unpack that paradox provides meaning for the audience um, and so in a sense this is abs absurdism tends to be pretty negative it's it's a downer <laughs> uh, but with this type of thing it's, it's much more positive much more life-affirming that we're kind of meaning makers and so when we look at this movie we seek to to read it and make meaning out of it now my the meaning i make out of it is that this is a, a metaphor for the um for the kind of damage her drinking does right for the damage of alcoholism and her having to eventually kind of throw away the monster which she does literally at the end is her trying to you know get over this this problem that she's caused for herself and caused for others um, i think if we're going to kind of switch up the parable or the paradox uh, then or switch up the parable we're presenting a new paradox which is that the you know the the absurdist notion of a monster um, becomes like hey what can we do what how can we utilize this monster let's make her run on a wheel and generate a lot of energy for soul <laughs> mm -hmm. and so then the 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 absurdity there is possibly um the 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 need for um for utilizing or putting to practical use every phenomena in the the world right and i think that would actually be a little more interesting right because <laughs> right you know because it's then it's like well maybe we can just enjoy the weirdness or the absurdity instead of practicalizing it um here i think this movie is a lot simpler than the movie you would have liked <laughs> to be made <laughs> yeah um, I, I guess kind of what i'm proposing um it reminded me of monsters inc have you seen monsters inc tom i, I haven't no go for it i have uh in in monsters inc the plot revolves around um mike wikowski and sully who work in the scare factory so they go through um closet doors and come out of kids closets and scare them the scream of kids is what powers the town mm -hmm. um by the end of the movie spoilers for monsters inc everybody um, they realize that laughter is 10 times stronger than screams, so they start sending comedic monsters through to capture that mm -hmm. energy. But I'm just wondering, is Monsters, Inc. an absurdist um, because the monsters are okay with just scaring the living snot out of out of children everywhere where, where we wouldn't, uh, you know, accept that as a moral way of gathering energy? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that what it sounds like from your description and from the previews that there's a, a coherent world that's going on here uh, you know incoherence isn't like peter uh peter pan right the absurd isn't peter pan i mean peter pan is is fantastical um but he's 
you know, traveling to a world with defined rules and a defined conflict. Um, and, and there you go. Like the Lord of the Rings isn't absurd, right? It's, right, it's, right, right. Yeah. You know, th- there's, there's a, a logic, a rational order to this world. Um, there's ways of killing the, the Nazgul and, and you could exercise them. And we know what the Nazgul is. It's not, uh, absurd would be if you were in a 4th of July picnic hanging out and the Nazgul landed next to you. Right. And then just started talking about how much they're looking forward to the fireworks that evening. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. The, The world has been ripped open. There's no coherence here. It doesn't make sense that the Nazgul should be at a like a fat guy's Fourth of July picnic. Um, Thanks, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess in Colossal, um, uh, part of that absurd is the monster shows up out of nowhere, right? It kind of comes in a cloud, mm-hmm. and it just steps onto. So that, that that's kind of what pointed you in the direction of the absurdity. Yeah, that that's what what pointed me there. Um, is that there is no uh, th- this is not part of the logical rules of this world. Um, it's not, but it's still kind of absurd as light. And what, what, why I wanted to, to do this with you is that we're not seeing the hard absurdism of, let's say Lewis Carroll, right? Alice in Wonderland. That, that is more, I mean, yes, she, if she goes down this tunnel or something, she goes into Wonderland, but you know, the, the people say nonsense things, you eat up you have a potion and you grow big and then small and then you could go into rooms i mean the 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 structure of that world is is hard to define or the um you know the kind of the jabberwocky stuff right that's really absurdist it's a poem that is is written in such a way that the language doesn't manifest a, a kind of visual analog that you can you can have as a reader of the poem Right. The poem is sort of self-canceling. That's that's the absurdity of language in that case, where language, which normally conveys something here, ends up conveying nothing. Um, And I I think what we have with with this movie is maybe not an incoherence of language, um, but is certainly uh, a a lack of explanation, a movie that proposes the world is explanatory and then gives us something that isn't explained. Right. We're only explained in terms of this this kind of metaphor or, you know, what I'm calling an absurdist parable. Uh, it's not really a parable, you know, but absurdist lesson, possibly. Um, yeah, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> huh. uh, um, would you say shaggy dog stories are generally absurdist? What are shaggy dog stories? Ah, shaggy dog stories would be uh, something. Well, let's, I'll tell you a story about um, one of my shaggy dogs. So uh, one of my dogs got out one day and started walking down the street. Um, he went down to the end of the street. He made a left, uh, happened to see one of our neighbors who tried to call him over, but just kept going. Eventually got to a storefront, went into the store. Um, everybody was pretty surprised to see him, but they were pretty happy. They said hello. Um, he then left the store and he, and he came back home. Mm-hmm. That's a shaggy dog. There's no... There's no point to the story. It just oh, yeah, kind of yeah, meanders on, and then there's the end. Like yeah, it could, yeah. I think that it could be depending on how it's used. Um, yeah, I've seen that before. Now I'm trying to think of where I've seen it or or watched a, a Shaggy Dog story in a play um, where the story just didn't have meaning. Um, there's a few of them. I, I think again in like the shorter plays of Samuel Beckett, but there's a really good one, and I can't 
I can't put it together what, what it was again. But it, it's yeah, it's this kind of um, this, this long story that doesn't seem to really have a point and probably doesn't have a point. Yeah, right, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's not just it wouldn't just be like a joke in a comedy where we have one friend who just tells shaggy dog stories. Right. Right. Usually it's a whole a very long thing that and it almost seems like it's going to have a point. Mm -hmm. But then it doesn't. Yeah. Actually, here's an example. Um, elevator repair service might still exist, but they were uh, about 10 years ago before the right when the the economy had crashed they were a, a big theater company that did kind of um they, they did experimental productions um gats was their big play where they did a uh, and, and kind of an absurdist play like a, it's an office and a guy pulls out a copy of the great gatsby and starts reading it and as he's reading it different people in the office just start for no reason taking on the roles that he's reading um but they did a staging of um a, an absurdist staging of a Tennessee Williams eccentricities of a nightingale, which I'd be shocked if you know what that is, but it's, it's a play, you know, a Tennessee Williams play with kind of like a, uh, a, a kind of Southern bell falling on harder, hard times, that type of thing. And they did an absurd version of it, a short version of it. And she's just telling stories for no reason. And the stories go nowhere. And the guy who is, um, in the play, kind of romantic, romanticizing, romanticizing, uh, romancing her. Uh, here, he's just sort of looking at his watch, and, and and there's no reason for him to be there. And she's just telling these stories that make no sense. And that would be an absurdist Shaggy Dog story. This kind of elevator pair service thing. How about um? You had mentioned on our um, why don't you play in a hell episode? One of mm -hmm. uh, that director's short films that took place in a coffee house. Mm -hmm. Would that have seen absurdist until the conclusion? Yeah, I would think so. I, I, I almost wish it was. So for, for people who don't know that, another another play by this director. So maybe um, another play, excuse me, another film by this director. Uh, Nacho, Nacho, we'll just call him Nacho. What's his last name? Uh, Vigilando, I think. Vigilando, okay, Nacho Vigilando. And he has a short movie that was nominated for an Oscar for live action short. Oh, and, oh, it wasn't Why Don't You Play in Hell. It was, um, it was Nacho. It wasn't the... It was Time Crimes we talked about that? Oh, Not, yeah, I'm uh, sorry. Time Crimes, yeah. Time sorry, Crimes, great. That was no, very I said, uh, why yeah. don't you play that? Cool. Yep. Yeah. Go no, I knew what you were went, you, what you meant and, and just sort of crushed it together. But anyway, Nacho did this short film. And the, the plot of it is um, this guy goes into a coffee house, or a woman goes into a coffee house, and um, people just start singing. Right? Everybody's quiet. Nobody speaks at first. right? And she tries to order coffee. Nobody looks at her. Nobody responds. And then suddenly people just start singing and, um, you know, and kind of singing to her. And then it turns out that there's this kind of crazy guy who's stalking her, who's uh, has a gun and is has a bomb, actually. And he's threatening to blow up the place if people don't sing to this girl he has a crush on. But until the very end, you don't know that's happening. So it's just people don't talk to her and then they start singing to her this this kind of love song. Um, that yeah that would be kind of absurdist because it's an inco it's an incoherent action in the world mm -hmm. so i think what we kind of want to end on is um whether or not this film is absurd or not um what can we say so let if we're t taking this movie let's let's take this movie as yes absurd right 
and we'll just say it for the, the sake sure. of this sure. conversation. What then is kind of an American 21st century film, like large audience film absurdism? What is tolerable in that kind of venue? Like a specific movie? Like, have you seen um, The Lobster? Okay, the, the Lobster is absurd. Exactly. Yeah. Or um, I think it is it Charlie Kaufman's latest film. I, I'm thinking of ending things. Yeah, his, his movies tend to be, and that I have read the review of it. That sounds absurd, right? She changes jobs miraculously, and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it, it it's yeah it, mm-hmm. it she's with people who every so often will be a different age, mm-hmm. either way older, way younger. There's no explanation. The rest of the world mm-hmm. seems to be fine with it. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a the, the, there's incoherence that is um, that nobody's commenting on, right? It's part of that world. Right, right, right. Um, so I, I guess then those things, you know, Kaufman's work, um, The Lobster, which I watched an hour of before I turned it off because I hated that movie. <laughs> Terrible movie. But it is, it is absurd. It is um, absurd. Yeah. Is that, I guess, are those conventional absurdist movies do you think based upon what eslin martin eslin has outlined for us and what we've talked about today well in the the lobster you have this strange premise where people have to fall in love or else they're going to turn into an animal right Mm -hmm. they're they've they're volunteering to give themselves a time limit on how long they have to fall in love or else they become an animal um I'm assuming because animals don't fall in love like we do, or I, yes, I, I don't really whatever. know why that was the. Well, that's the absurdist element, right? No right. definition, mm-hmm. right? Oh yeah, there, there. That's yep. That's a good. Mm-hmm. There we go. Stumbled <laughs> onto that one, um, and everyone's fine with it. Um, but the the only trick with the lobster is it feels like an isolated place, mm-hmm. right? At this hotel, at this retreat they're in, it's absurdist. But I don't know if the rest of the world understands that. Would be the only. Yeah, I mean, I was given the impression they did. Like, this seems to be the place you go when you you are of a certain age and you don't have, and you've lost a loved one or you're no longer with someone. Right, because I don't think the, so the, the idea of that movie, it starts with um, the brother of the main character, the main character played by Colin Farrell, has turned into a lobster because he's, no, 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 he's turned into a dog because he's failed to, you know, find a loved one and so um it seems like they don't want to turn into animals um, right but they're yeah but again they're they're kind of volunteering to do this i mean it's, it's, it's a hail mary a last it, it almost seems like a convention like this is what you do in this world oh more like like, like logan's run or something like oh time's up you're going to the yeah i, I it seems like with logan's run it's kind of like a dystopian thing where that's being imposed by the you know the forces of, of darkness or whatnot 1984 type thing with this it just seems like this is what people do you know like i'm you know it, this is just this is it's incoherent right why would people do this why would people subject themselves to turning into a dog or a lobster when if they had another option it seems well you know like why would people wait 50 years in a row for godot right like what's so great about Godot? But we don't know. There's there, there's no. It's just meaninglessness that's being staged, and I think that's the case in this movie as well. In the case of the lobster. Um, but then to answer your question, I don't know too many people that have seen this movie. I don't know how well it did. I don't know if this mm-hmm. 
fits the modern American, you know, um, it might've been nominated for an Academy award. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know how Colossal did. I, I, Oh, I don't, don't think even... Colossal did very well either. No. Oh, the lobster? <laughs> yeah, the I lobster, think, yeah. Yeah, I don't think the lobster did particularly well either. Um, his his later movie, The Favorite, did Oscar stuff. It won Oscars and, and all that. Is that um, Stone? Emily's? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the movie about Queen Anne. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, that was, I, I actually enjoyed that. I don't know how absurdist that was. I didn't, I don't know nothing about it. So. Yeah, no, I, yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, but um, yeah, so so I guess maybe there there is a place still for kind of big budget absurdity. <laughs> yeah. uh, but um, would you say mother exclamation point is absurdist? Did you see? Uh... Yeah, I did see that. Um, I maybe that that's a good point because that that's clearly a parable, right? Yes, I I completely missed it till I yeah. read it on Wikipedia. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's the. Um, you know, it's it's the kind of the parable of, well, it's not not a parable necessarily. It's the creation story. Yeah, it's yeah. a retelling. It's of, a yeah, retelling like, it from like the position of, I guess the the sort of er female. Um, yeah, because in the beginning of the movie, she kind of represents the earth, maybe, mm-hmm. and by the end, she's yeah, you know, the the Christian um, Mary. Yeah, she's she's Mary. She's Earth, but it seems to be the the re. Or what's the director's name? Aronofsky seems to yeah, be um, repositioning or reusing the biblical story um, in order to make a parable about kind of environmental damage, right? Because she's Mother Earth, and it ends with the house burning down to the, the house in the that? field, right? Um, and right. it is it is absurdist in the sense that um, we get no Who's the main guy. Right, Jennifer Lawrence was the main uh, woman, but who was the main Javier Bardem? Yeah, but he's totally cool with everything that's going on. Yeah, throughout the movie. Well, he's kind of God, right? That that that's right, this right, is where right. the parable thing fits, right? He's God. The baby they eat is Jesus. Um, right. You know, it's uh, uh, Adam and Eve are Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, because he's missing a rib. We see that at one point. Yeah, uh, right. And then, you know, we have Cain and Abel are their children, played by uh, Domhnall Gleeson, right? Who? Yep. But it, but if if you don't recognize that on your first watch through, which mm. again I probably should have, but if you don't recognize, they, they even that, have a flood I, of Noah. <laughs> yeah, right. right. It's, it's, yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Nick would have noticed, but um. The eyes. while you're what, yeah, he would his eagle eyes, he would have caught that. Yep, <laughs> hope he doesn't listen to this. Um, the uh, <laughs> but I guess without knowing that, it seems very strange what the god character is doing, right? Jennifer Lawrence is like, it, Don't let these people into my house, mm-hmm. the, the, everything about this doesn't make any sense. And he's like, No, no, it's kind of cool, like mm-hmm. they're here, they're fine. It's yeah, so. they rip it down. Yeah, I, I think that's yep. absurdist. You know, especially since like the house is the size of a field. Well, the world is the size of the field, and people just come out of the field. Um, yeah, he or the character I think is called the poet, but he's really God in that. The poet, and yeah, that yeah. may be kind of an absurdism that combines uh, absurdism with with the parable, where he's you know right, yeah, where it's sort of the, this. I, I 
think you could call it a parable of it's not of environmentalism or, or environmental damage um aronofsky said of it it was just his response to the 2016 election which to me makes no sense <laughs> I, <laughs> like, I <don't, laughs> wow yeah i it, you know that's just what people said back then but um um, but so as another example of an absurd movie, I also don't think it did very well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess it's a hard thing to sell just because people like coherence, you know, it's um, and it's also yeah. like avant garde is almost by definition not doing doesn't do well. Right. It's outside of the mainstream. Yep. Mm-hmm. You'd have to have some shtick that brought people in. Yeah. Um, to, to the to the theater and then they're just kind of surprised and then they would tell other people yeah it's still worth going to see yeah. I don't know. so yeah maybe m- mainstream absurdism is not <laughs> is not a thing that's possible <laughs> <laughs> that it's really but it, it's interesting it's interesting to think of that right because absurdism is about dealing with the meaninglessness of life and so you know by by it being necessarily on the margins or in the avant-garde, um, it, it kind of says that people refuse to deal with with that aspect. And that doesn't mean you necessarily have to believe that. Like, I, I personally don't believe that. I don't think life is meaningless and we have to find it, you know, in a kind of a Sisyphusian way. Um, I, so I sort of get it too, right? Like I didn't particularly like mother or lobster or Colossus, um, you know, <laughs> waiting for Godot right. is, is really good because it's really funny. Like when he wrote it, he imagined Lionel, Laurel and Hardy doing it. So he imagined kind of like broad comedy in it. Um, well, I did a, a quick Google search for um, what Google considers absurdist movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just go, let's sure, go sure, down sure. the list and say, did we like these? Mm-hmm. You know, do, are we okay with, movies about you know meaningless um things so birdman or the impert importance of virtue mm-hmm. i would agree yeah. um yeah i would agree it's absurd i didn't enjoy it i'm not in either mostly frustrated with yeah, the camera yeah, yeah it was it's a bad movie uh, dr strangelove loved it yeah i yeah i mean possibly i i mean Do- dr strangelove is also a, a really satirical and it's True. kind of clear what they're satirizing. And it seems like absurdity is, um, it seems like satire requires pretty clear meaning and absurdity doesn't. Right. So I, I yeah. think that so would maybe be, it's, yeah, maybe that's why we enjoyed it. They yeah. <laughs> put too much meaning into we, yeah. it. Yeah. It's crazy, but I think it's not, abs- or it might even be absurd, but not absurdist. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking of the phone scenes when he's on the phone with uh, Dimitri and mm-hmm. her, you know. Oh, yeah. No, you, yeah it's, uh, he's <laughs> drunk again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, uh, Anomalisa? That's the puppet movie? The Kaufman puppet movie? Is that right? Yeah. I, yep. I haven't seen that. How is that? Yeah. Um, I, I didn't enjoy it. The, the shtick there, spoilers for everybody. The main character can't recognize faces anymore, so oh. everybody looks the same to him. Yeah, was it propoagnosia, I think is the term for that? Is that is that uh, yeah I'm not sure I, I might be getting that word wrong but yeah um but yeah okay so um Brazil I didn't enjoy the movie mm-hmm. but there are absurdist scenes I'm thinking of when they're in the restaurant and it's like getting blown up and the waiter's still just being a waiter yeah that seems kind of absurdist and and Gilliam's yep. stuff seems to tend in that direction and on our alpha season we did the Baron von Munchausen 
Um, mm-hmm. I would say elements of that are absurdist, um, but I think that's more like fantastical. It's about kind yeah. of indulging fantasy rather than um, recognizing meaninglessness. True. Um, but in Baron Munchausen, things work out for him and he expects them to would be the closest thing I could think of to the absurdism or maybe not absurdism, yeah. but absurd. Yeah. I, I, I think part of that though is he, I mean, it could be the absurdity of the romantic hero. Um, I, well, it's almost like uh, Johnny Depp in Pirates of the Caribbean, mm-hmm. right? He he always happens to be standing in the right spot or th- his ship is sinking, but he walks right onto that dock. Like it all works out and he kind of expects that, yeah. which is absurd, but not absurd. It, it's not, I mean, it's just kind of movie magic, right? I mean, if, if, mm, yeah. if, um, if convenience is always absurdism, then Hollywood <laughs> movies are the most absurd movies <laughs> that have ever been made. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know with um, w- with Baron. Uh, I think there's absurd elements, certainly. Right. I, I think that. Yeah. Like. Um, yeah. I think there's absurd elements, certainly. Or or in. It could be so. Here's a possible reason, a, a reading, that the world is meaningless, and so these kind of fantastical stories that Munchausen comes up with are his means of importing meaning into the world. Um, however, when we're not in a Munchausen story, there's still a war going on. There's still craziness going on. It's still absurd. Right. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, other ones on the list. Um, and- I, w- I wasn't sure about this one. Did you see Stranger Than Paradise? Oh, I by, um... didn't. I really like Jim Jarmusch, but that's his his eighty fourth picture, right? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in that movie, it's it's about um, a guy whose cousin kind of visits him mm-hmm. in uh, I think it's New York City, um, and his buddy and the three of them are just meandering around. Mm-hmm. They don't have much to do, so um, yeah, I don't know. That, I know Pauline Kael, who's the critic we cite a lot in the or i i cite a lot in the show i mean everybody does right she's everybody's favorite film critic she compared that movie to waiting to godot waiting oh, for godot okay yeah so you might get something there the kind of you know kind of isolated meaninglessness uh, yeah i've seen that in other jarmusch films you see that with um oh the bill murray film where he is trying to find out if he has a kid where he gets a letter from someone unsigned saying you have a child and um, you know, he goes on a quest to, and the child is 18 and is looking for you. Um, and he goes on a quest to find out who the child is. Um, that movie came up when I was Google searching um, because I remember reading that plot line, but I don't remember the title of that movie. Mm-hmm. It is it's something with flowers, broken flowers. Oh, Broken flowers, mm-hmm. not to be confused with broken blossoms. I almost said broken blossoms, yeah, which is <laughs> definitely not an absurdist movie. Um, but with that movie, Bill Murray is, is seemingly playing a character who's incredibly depressed, and no explanation whatsoever is given for his mood. He made a ton of money in computers, that you know they just say computers, um, but he doesn't own a computer. Uh, he, the movie opens with a relationship. Um, with Julie Depley ending, she's walking out. Um, he asks her to say, but not in a particularly enthusiastic way. Uh, and he goes on this quest, and there's really no explanation given. Uh, and not to spoil the movie for you, it's it's not a great movie, but it has a really interesting ending. 
Um, it ends with him kind of uh, accidentally running into this this guy who's like 18 years old, the, the age of his presumed son. And he's talking to the guy. And after a while, he goes, I, I know it's you. I know, you know. And the guy's like, get out of here. And he kind of runs away. And Bill Murray kind of chases after him. And then he stops in the middle of the street. And as he does, a car drives by with another 18-year-old in it. And the 18-year-old the kind of looks at him and drives off. And Bill Murray just stands there. And it's kind of this this absurd moment of, not absurd, excuse me, but this interesting moment of, from here on out, every person of a particular age he sees, he's going to think is his son. And he doesn't know mm. who. Um, and th- there's something about the absurd condition of humans in the world addressed in that film but it's hard to say it's exactly waiting for Godot I don't know Stranger Than Paradise seems like a good contender even though I haven't seen it um, and I enjoyed it but I again don't know how well it did probably not I mean it's a small picture I think it's a small independent yeah. picture that got his career yeah. started um, maybe we'll say maybe we should close with asking the question is this absurd even absurd like is this coherent enough? I, I understand what, why you why you brought this question because again the monster appears out of nowhere, but would the answer be back at the bar? Yes, so. Is there any absurdity going on with when Oscar gains control, everybody, and everybody's doing what he says, or is that logically makes sense because he's threatening to kill people? So I guess that's not absurd, or maybe um like you were saying on the show before that, before Oscar got this power. Mm-hmm. His friends seem to do whatever he said anyway. Mm-hmm. Is yeah that absurd? Maybe. I mean, you would have to... I would... My, my, my reaction would be no. Just because you, you sort of have to um, highlight that as being something different from what we would recognize, right? Because as soon as he acts like a jerk, everybody goes, you're acting like a jerk, and they walk away. That's true. Yeah. yeah so yeah, it almost gives the true. impression like they just haven't thought this character through as opposed to. Yeah. But if he was kind of, um, you know, like in, again, uh, in in uh, Waiting for Godot, we have like the, you know, the master and the servant and the master kind of just whips the servant and screams at him. But there's no real reason why the servant should hang out there. <laughs> it's just sort of we're called masters of, you know, the, the, that's the title. So therefore that's how the person acts. Um, it's, it's sort of established that their, their relationship is not recognizable to a relationship we would have here. I feel like in, um, in Colossal, it's just, this character has apparently never acted like this. So it just came out of the blue. Yeah. Yeah, or if he had before, the other characters have nowhere to go, mm-hmm. so they hang out at the bar anyway and hope he he's stops. Cool again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the next day, he sobers up and you know, whatever. Um, stops being jealous, maybe. I, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. You know, though of course, in this movie, he seems to, for the first time, have a reason to be jealous of anybody else. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, although I imagine when he was setting up the bar and closing off that other section, he probably wasn't too pleasant to be around either, right? That would have been another. Yeah. Yeah, he could be. Yeah. I mean, it seems like his spark is jealousy, but who who knows? <laughs> you right. know, it's, it's a yeah. hard character to read. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I I want, so this is what I want. I want an absurdist light where you have this kind of um, sort of parable thing 
like you know the parable of alcoholism or something like that that comes out of this uh um but it's a pretty big light let's just say the, the, <laughs> the word light is underlined a few times right um you know because when you look at something like the lobster the lobster is clearly a different type of animal ha, 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 uh, than <laughs> than this picture um and it's it is i it may be shoehorning to put them into the same i don't want to say genre into the in in saying that they have the same uh conventions yeah i i think i have to agree i think if we were going to find a proper american absurdist modern day light um i imagine it would be a, a pretty typical movie but one character would have the conventions of the absurdist so either they're doing strange things or they don't react to strange things the same way everybody else in the movie does. Mm -hmm. I think that might be a way that we could get uh, an absurdist light movie yeah. out there. Whereas Colossal, everybody's on the same page mm. for the most part. Yeah, the, the monster is weird, right? It's not like the monster appears and nobody cares, right? It's, it, it is this idea that the monster is crazy to the people in the play um so i think if you made a sequel it could be absurdist oh how so well the one thing that happens in the movie is the monster shows up in mainhead mm -hmm. and then we don't see anything but maybe mainhead doesn't react and they're just used to that monster like she's living in soul mm -hmm. soul and that could be a way to yeah, that, that it's just a, you know, a thing that's there. <laughs> right, right. Like the fire department calls every time a cat's stuck in a tree and she's like, all right, I'll get it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Things like that. Or, I, is that even absurd? Yeah. I guess that's not absurd. I, I mean, if there's a lack of explanation, right, I think there, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think maybe we're, we're kind of coming to the conclusion that this doesn't, this doesn't quite work as an absurdist film either. <laughs> Yeah. So the the potential redeeming qualities of it, we we might have argued out of it. All right, KJ. Thanks for doing this B side with me. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Um, I was wondering, um, do these B sides have any meaning? Are they coherent? Are we uh, verging on something here? I I think they are definitely incoherent. And considering nobody is listening to them, I I think it's <laughs> quite right absurd. There. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Please, every Wednesday, Talking Pictures Trivia comes out with a new episode. Tune in wherever you get your podcast, and I will see you on Wednesdays. See you then. <laughs>